Entertainingly educational. This is episode two, but the first episode with a guest. I'm Paul, your host. Thank you for coming along and listening. It's going to be a good time because tonight, today, whenever you're listening to this, I have Dale Dupree, the copier warrior, the rebel leader. Dale, how are you there, Hoss? Like, <laughs> I wish I had a soundboard. Yeah, I wish I had a soundboard to, you know, some, I mean, I'm sure tonight we're going to have some claps. We're probably going to have some, some drum rolls. I mean, there's all kinds of great shit we could have done with a soundboard, but I I don't have one. They're quite expensive and I haven't reached the podcast level of needing one at this point. Hey, listen to me, bro. Episode five or six, you'll be there. Okay. So go ahead and get one in the Amazon cart, leave it there. And we'll just check out in a few weeks, okay? It's going to happen, bro. So I, I know. So what you're saying is by episode five or six, I'm going to have sponsors standing at my door. Right. Throwing and money I'm going to need to come back on so you can run the soundboard with me because I want to hear a clap, okay? Well, there we go. So. This is all I got for now. All I got for now. <laughs> well, Dale, buddy, tell us, tell us who you are real quick. Oh, man, that's a loaded question. My name's well, Dale Dupree, and okay, I am the founder and leader. Okay, 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 sure. No, yeah, no, 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 hold on. I will. Hold on. Don't get too deep yet because I got to ask the next question now. Woo! No, go ahead. Go ahead. Cool. I'll just make it surface level. <laughs> Dale Dupree, founder and leader of the Sales Rebellion. My friends, they call me the copier warrior. I uh, spent about 14 years in the B2B space selling the dreaded, boring, disgusting, generic vanilla copy machine. And I had a lot of fun doing it, experienced a lot of success. Uh, the elements of that success were the community that I built, uh, the love that I learned to share, and ultimately the creativity that I tapped into in a very generic vanilla, et cetera, et cetera, industry. <laughs> uh, I, I did that up until 2019. Uh, March 1st, I started the Sales Rebellion. We're a training and development firm focuses on holistically coaching people to be better at their sales walk, in their sales walk, I should say, at being a salesperson. Uh, we stand against the status quo, the mediocrity of sales. We believe in people over products, community over commission checks, uh, fellowship over negotiations and experiences and providing experiences over performing pitches. That's a little bit more about me. Hey, man, it sounds like you had been practicing that intro in front of the mirror for years. Got about 300 something <laughs> podcasts in the last three, four years now. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a muscle for sure. But, uh, but I, you know, I mixed it up just a little bit for you there. So that's a good Hold on news. a sec. I got a, I got a kid peeking in. Hold on. Let me hey, that's a good want. thing. Hey, Hey, sweetheart. Yes. You can Tell, chicken nuggets. Listen, daddy, <laughs> look, you need to go make is, some chicken nuggets, bro. That's all look, there is to it. Look y'all. If you're going to follow this podcast, this is, this is real life podcast. This is us sitting around a campfire, shooting the shit, talking, 
uh, telling stories. And so every now and again, you're going to have a kid pop in and want to eat chicken nuggets. I don't know, you know, why, why did they have to ask me to eat chicken nuggets? I mean, yes, yes. Usually we're trying to, you know, make them eat them. But anyway, <laughs> well, let me tell you this, uh, 300 podcasts in the last few years. I promise you, Dale, Mr. Copier Warrior, this one ain't going to get lost and it will get posted. <laughs> it's not funny bro you know i just wish people would be honest you know i just i just like it's funny because you say oh man i lost we lost I'm, this is embarrassing we lost your episode and then they don't say would you like to re-record it or how can we make it up to you mm. or right and, it, and it's like well just tell me you didn't lose it just tell me you didn't like that i challenged you and and i even thought after i did it i was like they're gonna delete this they're not gonna because i hit him you know, I was like, well, that would be lying. That's what I like. That's how I started the, the downward spiral of the pie. I was like, lying. there we go. Uh, and he was like, what? <laughs> I was like, no, <laughs> let me break it down real quick. And I, I did. And like, you could see the co-host, the other guy, like kind of cringing a little <laughs> bit, like, oh God, we got to change the subject. It was pretty intense. <laughs> well, I appreciate you, man. I'm glad that you're going to air this. You know, that's very kind of you. Yeah. Hey, I, I'm not going to waste my damn time over here recording this and doing what little bit of editing is going to get done, not to right. put it out to the masses of people so they can listen to uh, the awesomeness that's uh, probably going to happen tonight. Uh, tell me this. How did you get the name, the Copier Warrior? Where does that come from? Because that's, that's a fairly unique name. Yeah, that, that started in 2010. And uh, my dad was like the copier legend. I was working for him at the time. I was in my third year with him. Uh, ish. I started sometime in 2007, like, you know, end of the year kind of thing. But anyway, I digress. That's besides the point. <laughs> we sitting around a dinner table talking about, well, I want a personal brand. I want to create a personal brand. The biggest reason that I had leaned into that was that I had looked at the copier space and realized that nobody's like, if your name was Kevin, your name wasn't Kevin. Your name was copier guy, right? Like, oh, yeah, <laughs> the, the copier guy. salesman. Yeah, the printer, the printer guy. guy. Like that. Yeah, it didn't matter what your name was. Well, I need to be more memorable. I need to be something that stands out this crowded commodity space. Because the thing is, is that a commodity is usually a highly profitable item for the seller. That's a lot of times people don't really think about that. They just say commodity. They're like, why would I sell a commodity? Well, like, guess what? There are guys in the copier industry that are 24 years old making a million dollars going door to door knocking and selling a copy machine. Right. We're so, going to talk about the copier business because we should. It is, we will, but keep with your story. But we're going to put a side note for that because that shit is crazy. Woohoo. Amen, bro. It, it is. <laughs> so, so when I, I analyzed, competition, what was going on around me, the way that my that my prospect, the folks that I sought to serve, when I when I recognize their buying habits, what they're typically taking through, the the kind of uh like 90% of them all have the same problem, you know, on the list of 20 problems, they all at least have one of the same, two of the same in some cases. When I started to analyze and recognize those things, I realized like at the at the the root of all of the the issues and the reason that you the way that you could strategize to take business from competitors in this commodity space was at this literal identity of who you did business with 
And and sure, there's some stuff attached to the identity, right? Ultimately, there's integrity, there's there's transparency, there's there's servant leadership, right? A sales guy typically would would say everything they needed to say to win the deal, make their ten thousand dollar commission check. That buyer would be like, "What? Like y'all? May, I need to get out of my job and join y'all. This is insane, right? Like for real, be, because it was a highly profitable industry, right? And then that sales rep would just be gone. Right. And so I, I recognize that that's why they're the copier guy. Right. That's why they're not memorable. They're not Kevin because Kevin is a nice person. And they're Let me not stop a nice you right person. there. <laughs> Go ahead. Let me stop you right there, because some folks are memorable and you that's what you want to strive for, to be memorable. Right. The what what I strive for and and what what you are and what a lot of other people are that we know. Unforgettable. There's a difference. There's a difference to me with that. One's memorable and one's unforgettable. And I think the unfor- unforgettable has a longer shelf life for the folks that you interact with, especially when you got to get folks to buy stuff from you. Yes. Powerful point, bro. The, to be unforgettable is to be a legend, is to to never die, right, is the thought. So, so it is. It's a very powerful thought. And you're right. Yeah, and the, the, the greatest thing was is that Kevin would leave his job two years in and go to the competitor and come back to that client and be like, Oh, Hey, I'm over here now. And, and why don't we get you set up with these guys? And, and the thing was that was interesting about that is that that started a sick cycle of people basically like staying in this circle of life, which was the definition of insanity, right? Doing the mm. same thing over and over again as the buyer expecting a different or better result. And so the same problem still existed at this other company, right? It's like, I saw, I said earlier that, You'd find these one or two common things that happened across the board everywhere. And those were the spot. Those literally those two things in some instances were the only thing necessary to differentiate. So so standing in that differentiation, uh, the sea of differentiation and, and having somebody recognize you in it instead of looking over here in this crowded space and being like, where the heck is my copier guy? Right. The copier warrior was born because the identity of the warrior was for me, it was a defender. So it wasn't somebody on a conquest, pillaging, raping, killing, destroying, burning everything down. It was the identity of a defender, the person mm. that that came to battle because they were willing to cut to go in the first place because you need them because you were looking for that help. So the, the warrior concept to me on a deeper level, it it it's what defined my act, actions as a sales rep. Right. Whereas a lot of people look at the warrior and they think like, yeah, bro, get out there and crush it. And like do your 80 hour weeks and like make a million, you know, and like burn it down or you know, whatever the sales baby. bro says these days. Right. But, <laughs> but I looked at the warriors as something very noble. And so, so it, when somebody would see my brand, their brain would flip. Whereas they would, you know, in most cases they would see the hunter, the killer, the guy out skinning his own dinner and, you know, cash and checks, right? Which is literally just signing paperwork and selling people things, right? Like that's what I think is so funny about people that that look at themselves as this like bear or wolf or hunter mindset, stupid. So so sometimes people would see the warrior name and they'd be like, but this is different, right? On all accounts, like this guy isn't. He's not like over the top. He's not edgy. He's not you know making me believe that he's a douchebag in the process here. He this guy is his language. Right. So in my copy, the things that I talked about, like a powerful statements is what I believed in. Right. That concept of 
being unforgettable starts with the way you communicate entirely, whether it's the visual, the, 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 the words that you speak, right. The tonality in which you, you possess and that you, you carry through as an attribute in conversation, right? Like whatever it is, like whatever micro you want to look at, the bigger picture perspective was, is that when people heard it, when people saw it, when people experienced it, the copyright warrior was so different, so nice, so inviting, right. Funny, as well, too, right? So that humor piece really breaks the ice, makes people go mm -hmm. like, is this dude serious? He's standing, this picture of him, he's standing in the woods, stabbing a golden copy machine <laughs> with a sword. And the and it says above his head, every day he wakes up believing this is his job. Like, again, powerful statements. People read that, they experience yeah. that, and they're like, and then I call, and I'm like, yo, it's Dale Dupree, <laughs> the copier warrior. And people go, what's up? <laughs> right? they, don't, they, don't, they don't say like, who? Yeah, <laughs> Kevin? Right. The you, named, you named yourself the copier warrior, but yes. you became the copier warrior when you were out in the woods with a big ass sword and demolishing a printer. That's when you became the copier warrior. And let me tell you, that's about the most Florida man thing <laughs> you could have done to a sword. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went, I went full on Florida man with the brand for sure. I, I said this doesn't and this can't just be over the top. It has to be very it has to be very tailored to my audience. It has to be very culturally effective for my areas. And like this, where I sold was so Florida, it wasn't even funny. <laughs> is so, is that video times. still out there? Can is yeah, it, you can where is you it? can go to YouTube and and the sales rebellion uh, YouTube page actually houses mm -hmm. the copier warriors, two of my old commercials. Uh, I had a few of them, but there's two of them that are actually like on YouTube and in that feed. And you can just type in Dale Dupree Copier Warrior even on YouTube and you'll find it. But it's it's real easy to find. There's two of them. One of them I'm exercising a demon out of a copy machine, um, <laughs> as well as like some other tricks and fun stuff. And then and the the one after that, I, I'm at, I'm literally like walking through an office and and allowing like the problems like the the horrors and the terror of a monday morning and the copier is not working like playing out inside of the commercial which was a lot of fun right now i'm kind of walking through like as the narration's going and that's where that that's when you meet the warrior really like you meet him in all the commercials but you meet the warrior when you when and the problem that you are having and that exists in your world is translated to you and and again mm. like i said most people had a problem Right. And so I, I just had to understand, OK, it's this vert, it's attorneys. Well, this is the problem that attorneys usually have across the board with with other vendors. Right. So it was it was getting acclimated and and gaining aptitude and acumen, business acumen through my career that really you know turned the copyright warrior into something more than just a name. Even he was a mm. presence. He was a, yeah. like an authority inside of the territories i could resurrect him at any point in time and show up in any other place <laughs> in the united states except for the people where i train right if i went where i trained it'd be a bloodbath for sure like a war like a literal war between <laughs> me and those guys right but but and i wouldn't want that anyway right but but there's 90 percent of the markets out there are still just <laughs> they're selling copiers yeah. bro like like yeah. dummies right like stop just stop Eighty-four pieces of paper per second. The the no, I don't know shit about copiers besides the two in my office. That was good. I'm screaming and hollering at them because they don't have to shit. Now they ain't the type of stuff that you're selling either. But you know, yeah.
Yeah. The what we got the copier warrior. What is the journey? What is your life journey that has led you to where you are right now? Because you have an amazing journey. It is filled with so many stories. And if y'all follow Dale, especially on LinkedIn, he's very open and very passionate about his story. And he tells it through there so you can you can follow him there. But we want to hear it now out of your mouth. What is the journey that has led you to where you are now? Yeah, the journey, man. It's It's an intense one. And I have to always start it back in 1984, no matter how I tell the tale. Uh, that's when uh, my father quit his job and founded his company, uh, which was a year before I was born. Uh, but it it was literally you know part of the the build out of my destiny. So my dad started his own firm because of that. I had toner running through my veins <laughs> when I came out of the womb. And now here's a, a fun fact: the majority of copier companies around the United States are run by a father, son, mother, daughter, mother, hey. son, duo. It's family in most That's cases. Interesting. Sometimes it's an uncle, sometimes it's a cousin, you know, but like there's a family member at the top with mm -hmm. the CEO and they're either in sales as the VP or they're in accounting or right. But it's, it is the majority of copier companies out there. It's a pretty crazy thing actually, to be quite frank. Uh, but no matter what, like their family businesses, because even the ones that don't have, uh, the C-suite filled up with the family. They like the, the kids all come to work at some point. And like, you know, uncle Fred, when he gets laid off, you know, it's only, but, and they make them all sell, you know, like, yeah. like well, and I, Oh, you're in accounting. Sorry. You're going to have to get a job in sales here. And, and deliver. Yeah. And, and, delivery. Yeah, and you got to 100% deliver copiers at some point. Too. <laughs> I did all of that. Right. I, so, and we'll get to that in a second, but, but that, that destiny piece is very important to remember because, my father was also a very intentional person. And so at a young age, I can like my first memory as a young boy that like if I was able to chronologically put my memories together, because uh, this could be a later one compared to some other ones, who knows, right? But I remember being about five years old and it was my birthday. And I remember like the number five and balloon that said five. And, and but your, we were at a your first now. printer, got your first printer. <laughs> my dad brought me a copy machine. Oh. <laughs> Santa. Now, uh, <laughs> I, I remember being at a bowling alley and with some friends eating pizza. I remember my dad's best friends being there at the time. Like, I remember some pretty vivid details. Uh, Bob Hughes is one person that I could like shout out to one of my dad's good friends and Jonathan, his son, his adopted son. They were, I remember them being there. I remember, bro, I remember the conversation in the car with my dad. I remember had just like feeling very loved and supported by my father at the birthday party. I remember feeling very taken care of, very like just clothed in love. And, and it was a fantastic, it is a fantastic memory, fantastic moment for me because it was, it's like that, that core memory mm -hmm. for me as a human of just like, not something because I can I can also think back to him and be like, well, maybe I remember it for different reasons. But that the only reason that I remember is because my dad intentionally created extremely unique, fun and exciting and loving moments for me to mm -hmm. be able to feel so attached to that moment that I'd never leave it. Um, and now the thing is, is that several years after that birthday, probably around the age of seven or eight, I started to to be engrossed by a sickness that I, that some people call depression. Some people call, you know, mental illness, whatever the case is, I call it my deep sadness. <clears throat> and yeah. you could say it came kind of inherently. Uh, there's a lot of arguments to be made about 
the genetics behind this type of thing or whether it's something that you know you build for yourself because you're a psychopath and put the wrong job on the list and worked for too many you know there's a lot of different opinions on this but at a young age i recognized that i had a a sadness and it started mm. with being bullied it started with uh, feeling left out of things i wasn't necessarily the cool kid i was like kind of like right in the middle right where I was very athletic. I, I, I loved music. Uh, I was fun. It was outgoing. I was very extroverted. If you look at pictures of me, I wasn't like a weird looking kid either. I was kind of a handsome <laughs> little dude. You had and big ass ears like I no, did at that age. No, damn ears really were stuff. like, my ears were two thirds of my head and face were damn ears. Look like yo Dumbo with froze ears. Mine weren't floppy, but they're big as hell. I want to see those pictures. They sound gorgeous, bro. <laughs> I'll have to so, find some. There's, the, yeah. I'm sure somebody's got them on a wall somewhere. Y your listeners deserve to see it at this point because now that they've they've heard the stories, they need to see the the ears, bro. So, uh, well, I'll so, see what so, I can do. Please, would love for you to, to even have a follow up um, podcast with me where we just <laughs> talk about your ears. That would be fantastic, too. So. Well, we so could I, probably I, make an hour out of it too. That's the that's the that's the awesome part about it. E easily bro easily so to, so to get keep us on track here i, I that depression that sadness <clears throat> it started to carry into my life a little bit deeper as i turned 10 11 12 i i, I it's not that i had a bad upbringing right i had a great dad like i just said an amazing mom i'm extremely close with my siblings even my cousins my extended family it was more or less situational the the neighborhood i grew up in the some of the kids you know that that were like, oh, we don't hang out with them. And I was mm. into those crowds because I was the most vulnerable, right? Mm. Ultimately, I was the, I was one of the tallest kids, one of the biggest kids. I was growing a beard at 12 years old, you know, and like <laughs> my dad had to bring my birth certificates of baseball games and whatnot just to like <laughs> prove I was okay to play and not a thousand years old, you know, like it was, it was an interesting time. And, and because of that, I remember, you know, distinct memories like, being on uh, a field with with kids that I thought were my friends, like man, I'm loving this. This is so much fun. And then seeing them like away from the adults, let's just say like at a street uh, basketball game, right? And and that same person that was my friend is suddenly like my enemy. They're picking on me. They're they're jabbing at me. I mean, just and like heavy stuff, man. Like calling me fat, ugly, you know, and things I wasn't. But I was like super self-conscious about as a person. I still and when, am today. And when kids, yeah. yeah, and kids at that age too, when they find that one thing, that trigger for you, kids are assholes. And they, they will just poke, they will poke at that wound until, you know, it's they've ripped it wide open. I mean, it's I, I grew up kind of similar to that, but you know, it's it's the kid thing. That age group is that middle school age group is whoo. That's a rough time there. For sure. I completely agree with you. And and it was a really hard time in my life. Now, think, think about this, though, too. I was homeschooled my whole life. Mm. But my parents put me through, excuse me, the system in a way where I would, like, actually go to classes through a co-op. And uh, I took, like, college courses when I was in high school still. Just, like, uh, some stuff I'm like, come on, Mom, seriously. Like, do you have to do that to me? But, but extreme gratitude for me because – I got to be raised on a classical education. 
around choice where I didn't just like learn one thing that someone wanted me to learn, right? I learned everything and, mm-hmm. and it was fantastic. It was fantastic to get an education like that. It was, of course, anybody that's listening, you know, like that it's thinking of the stereotypes, like it's biblically based in most cases, most of the curriculum is, but the, what the fantastic part about what we were put through is that it had a secular point of view you know, through a biblically based teaching. So it, it taught you everything. You learned evolution, right? You learned Buddhism, you learn all the world religions, right? You, as, as a homeschooled kid, you know, a lot of people think like you get put in a box and like, it's some kind of cult, mm-hmm. you know, like, no, I actually, I got a big perspective. And because of it, I, I looked at things different. I interacted with people differently. Like if I saw a kid getting beat up, that was the nerd. Uh, everybody else would stand by and watch. I felt called to action in, in those moments, just like the copier warrior. I felt the need to defend. And and so I got myself into a lot of hot water because of it too, because I'd, you know, throw a, a punch at a kid who was, you know, the cool <laughs> kid. And so now his uh-huh. whole posse's after me, right? And so, you know, like this is drama ultimately, but I just never participated in it. I was just the on the receiving end of it constantly. And so by the time I was 16, I'm playing in a metal band and um, I'm, I have this aspiration of touring and, and being signed to a major record label and just having a lot of fun. But literally one year before that, literally one year before that, I tried to kill myself. Mm. And it all stems from a just a, a buildup of a moment and just constant just belittling and berating of me, abuse as well, too, that I suffered from. And, and all of a sudden... <laughs> something just triggered it, man. And to a point that like, if I look back and I think about it, a lot of it is very dark, mm-hmm. the thoughts, the, the emotions, it, there was no logic in those moments. And and you're a 15 year old child. Uh, that's literally like suddenly an adult for a moment and making mm-hmm. these very big decisions. Like I'm going to take my life, right? I'm not worthy of, being on this earth i'm not good enough everyone hates me i suck i i can't make anybody happy i i keep doing everything wrong i whatever you know i'm fat i'm ugly i'm gross i suck i i picked on a a fight with a kid that tried to beat up a nerd because i thought it was the right thing to do maybe it was wrong you know i i was like my own worst enemy in that moment (laughs) and i had no idea what i was doing bro i not to be explicit or graphic, but I, I used a knife and I slipped my wrists and, and what I was doing really was just carving my entire arm up. Cause I didn't, I had no idea. I was a child. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen someone kill themselves. I just remembered, you know, watching movies where it had happened. And usually there was a bathtub and there was, you know, cuts on their arms. And so that's where I went to a bathroom and I, I thought that this is how you do it. And, and my mom came home and, mm. I mean, I'm, I'm just like whittling away, like my whole arm pretty much. And just trying to figure out like, how do I die? And, and my mom came home and I tried to, I tried to hide it. Like in my attitude, I thought she couldn't see my arm. It's just sitting right there, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, that's like, dude, you are in a crazy state of mind when you're suffering that deeply from depression and when you're in a suicidal state, I, it's hard to explain, bro. I hope that I can give some perspective on it. And for anybody out there that's struggling and listening right now, I hope that you can feel some comfort in this and that you're not alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just grateful for divinity and for my mother in that moment. And, you know, having her come in and, and basically stop me and, and grab my arm and be like, what are you doing? And, 
and exposing the things that were happening in my life. And then there was a lot more to it right there. If we could mm-hmm. get super deep and spiritual on this stuff as well too, but, but you know, you fast forward a year and I'm, I'm like oh, harnessing all this, you know, kind of like anger and rage, mm. you know, dark darkness, right. Toward like playing music. But uh, by the way, <laughs> I'm in a Christian band, right. We're, <laughs> we're for real. We're a heavy metal band and we're all Christian kids. And, and so we've, we have taken influences like bands such as Living Sacrifice or Zayo or Under Oath or, you know, there are lots of band called Norma Jean, even that was pretty popular. These guys sold lots of albums were very, very, very popular in that Christian space, but they were, they were good music. So they transcended it. They were in the secular space as well, too. Hmm. So I was being influenced by positivity. Then I was looking at music as worship, essentially, and like an outlet for me to also like express, be creative. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I get into this band and and by 17 years old, you know, we're all sitting around at a table like, hey, let's record an album. And which we did with Jeremy Stoska, who uh, had just finished doing Marilyn Manson, Newfound Glory, a bunch of just massive bands wow. on Warner and Universal and, you know, big labels. And, and we got on their list. We got on their radar. We got on their list. We self-funded an album. Uh, we had it uh, mastered by a guy named Alan Douches, who has a weird name, but masters <laughs> every single major art, like recording artist. So we had this these credentials attached to a, a literal burned CDRW <laughs> that we bought at Best Buy <laughs> back in the day when this was the thing, right? And, That's right. And these these cases that were super thin and were like purple and red and green and blue and you know the multicolor cases, right? Just like shoving CDs in these things with literally just a little piece of paper that had our MySpace link, which was a thing also back to our band. And Mm -hmm. we went on, we went on freaking tour, bro. We built a 50 day tour out by ourselves, invited bands onto it. We're like, we're going to do this. What's amazing is these bands show up today. One of this tour, right? I'm a young kid, bro. I'm, I'm a baby. And, and we're all like, Hey, so we couldn't get a van. To do this tour, we had some stuff lined up and it kind of fell through last minute. Could we jump in your vans and do this tour? So we we took a truck with a U-Haul trailer attached to it because that's all we could get at that point. And we jumped in these other people's vans. One of uh, each band took one person, right? Mm. So they had six, seven <laughs> sweaty dudes plus one of ours, right? And, and just taking up space, right? These how, these how old are y'all were, at this time, bro? We're seventeen to twenty-one. That's our age range, right? And the twenty, the the two twenty-one year olds were one of them was twenty-one, one was twenty-one. They were like the chaperones for us. Like, well, I had to like get signed like legally, like the as a guardian to one of the guys, right? So, okay. so we hit the road, and it was dude, it was phenomenal. We learned so much. I learned mm-hmm. how to depend on my 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 brothers. I learned how to to build community. I learned uh, rage in a different way altogether. I understood cultures locally. I I got to be immersed inside of the scene of metal music and how kids acted at shows and, and, and how it played out into their normal lives. And, you know, it was, it was intense. I got perspective and it, and really it helped me with sales. I, I was walking into place with a backpack, pulling a CD out that like we spent two bucks to create between the disc and the, the little thing and asking for 10 bucks for these things, five bucks for these things. Right. And like, and going around being like, Hey, how about a shirt and a CD for, 13 you know and uh, hustling right (laughs) it was fun dude it was but it was cool because it was it wasn't like we buy my stuff it was like 
it was like, hey, well, like we're playing in two sets. If you don't want to get it yet, I'll come back and find you. Like I will prove it. Like I'll prove mm-hmm. we're good. And so it was fun. Like we we got a, a lot of life lessons and experiences <clears throat> from those particular moments and let, events. Let me ask you something. So you 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 have that dark moment where you try to kill yourself at at fifteen. You get into into music and then you start touring in this heavy metal. How did was was that type of music a release for you? Was that something to help you cope? Great question. So I got into rock and roll pretty quickly. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned my father earlier and how big of a part that he's you know played in my life and at a young age how intentionally was and how he taught me that intentionality. I also like inherited him. You know, he was a guitar player in a, in a little rock band himself up until he was about 16, 17 years old. Um, I just kind of had it flowing through me. My dad was like, hey, you want to learn the guitar? He let me play an acoustic and as soon as I was good at it, learned it, he let me get an electric. And then I was listening to like Everclear. Yeah. Mm. And like uh, <laughs> the Goo Goo Dolls. And, there you go. And Green Day. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, what else is out there? And then, and then, and then I'm, in, I'm in. I'm deep in, bro. I'm listening to the Underground Cats. I'm listening to Strong Arm. And, you know, just people that are, that are of the scene today, like legends. You know, I'm. Mm. I'm a, you know, Stretch Armstrong was a great influence of me at the time. They're like punk rock bands, right? So like I, I it kind of eased in, right? It was like rock and roll music to like dirty punk rock music. And, and a lot of the influence was were Christian artists also at, mm-hmm. at a certain point, which is how I got into the Christian side of the metal scene in the first place because it wasn't on purpose. It was just that these were the guys. There were some legends out there doing this stuff and they were the best and in the underground scene. And so I just slowly found metal. And started, I, I realized I was really good at it when we played it. I realized it was a lot of fun. I love the energy. I love the complexity. I love the the art of it. Uh, I love the ability, the ability to express. And I, I felt that if I'm screaming lyrics where I say, you know, let the world know that I am yours and I will never be silenced. If I'm screaming that instead of singing it like an emo kid, <laughs> that it felt more powerful. Right. Mm-hmm. And and that was my way to worship. Right. Like and, and those are lyrics from a, a, a fantastic band that we toured with back in the day. Somebody heard them and they were like, oh, I know that band. Then cool. Kudos to you. I'm not saying who it was. But again, <laughs> the point being it, the atmospheres, the places that we went, there was culture to it. But we were trying to influence it right in our own way. We I watch I watch guys like pray over people that were meth heads and like struggling with depression like myself and we're willing to come out and discuss those things our whole first album was my cry for help bro it's called this grave mm. is my poem and which is a terribly emo name for a, a, a metal hardcore band right but the lyrics i mean one of the songs is called an ashes i leave to find my peace and if like if <laughs> i mean i couldn't express these things bro I, nobody knew i tried to commit suicide nobody knew i struggled mm-hmm. with depression the way that i did my mom and dad did my pastor knew a couple of doctors that i talked to Mm -hmm. psychiatrists knew. i mean like they were family friends like no one knew so so i had people coming up to me and being like bro i i relate so heavily to your your lyrics you know i love your music but your lyrics they they take me deep like i've i've struggled with depression and they they speak to me and I mean, bro, I, like it was it wasn't something I necessarily tried to do. But when I realized what was happening and that I was giving other people like peace of mind 
and being able to create community around a subject that was very taboo and silenced that, that I realized that I had something here and, and that success wasn't so much money and the, the opportunity to like play music for the rest of my life, even success was connecting with other people and impacting them on a level that a product, a service, a career can't do. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I found this, this calling bro. And I recognized that I didn't have to be in music either. If I wanted to do it, I, I could do it in anything I wanted. And, and that was cultivated over time as well too. But, but the, you know, the metal thing, it was like, you know, think about, um, Think about an efficient world, right? Where's the place that if I told you I went, you'd be like, you're, you are hardcore kid, right? Like, like that's what metal music was. It wasn't popular, but it was the riskiest wow. thing that you did, right? And it was like, it was kind of dark, you know? So it's like, oh, it's kind of scary over here too, right? So if, if you looked at it through a specific lens, you can hear what I'm saying on a level that you can actually feel what I'm mm-hmm. saying right now that like it, it was so much more than what people made it out to be. And, and so when I looked at, I could, I recognize which, right. Just like I wouldn't know shit on the, the actual place that you would tell me that if I was fishing was the hardcore kid, I wouldn't know. You could tell me and explain it to me right now. And I'd be like, that's nice. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate you ruining <laughs> 20 minutes of my life. Uh, let's move on from that. Right. Like that's literally, like that's the difference, right? Like, so I, like I, that was my niche, right? Like it was the thing mm-hmm. I was connected to. I was deep with, I understood it through a different lens. And so when people said things like, why do you play metal? It, I had to laugh at, at, to start my answer. Cause I'd be like, you just don't get it and you never yeah. will. And it's not some like, it's not some weird thing either, right? Like I'm not some some super egotistical kid about like metal's the best. Like it's not the case. I actually like other genres of music better, believe it or not. Is that it was the riskiest? Is that it was the hardest? Is that it was mm. the the thing that we could put all of our eggs into emotionally. Right. Right and yep. get the biggest return and we did, bro. We got it cuz we struggled through everything. Everything. My found one of my founding members he uh, got addicted to heroin mm. in the process of us building a, a career in music. Like I've seen it all, dude. I've literally seen it all. And, like the stories are vast and deep and crazy from, you know, watching my bass player stab people with an American flagpole <laughs> in the middle of a mosh pit. Right. Damn. With, bro. With, with, with uh, American flag, uh, boxer oh shorts God. on right and like an american flag like wrapped around us and it was during the july 4th holiday and we called it the freedom tour like in, internally like we didn't actually call it that externally <laughs> we just got it that internally and bro it was it, it was for the days you know and like the thing was is that like you're getting beat up by a uh, american flagpole and you're laughing you're you're actually you're having, having a good a time, good time. <laughs> yeah was, it, what, what did again, you do this was, weekend i got my place. ass beat i got my ass beat by a guy at a metal metal show with a flagpole uh yeah let alone half naked one <laughs> <laughs> screaming freedom at the top right so so it was again it, there it's it was a diverse place you had black you mm-hmm. had white you had asian hispanic you had rich you had poor you it was diverse bro 
that was a culture that was it you weren't just attracted to it because you were this kind of kid it's not like a goth movement or like you know a a, a japanese boy band you know it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't attract a stereotype of person it metal attracts everyone that mm -hmm. gives it a chance uh, most people actually when they first hear heavy metal they're like this is interesting. I don't. What are they saying? That's usually the first yeah. thing that yeah. <laughs> they're like the goes hell, to mind. What the, I, what the fuck is coming out of his mouth, bro? I thought that the first time I yeah. was listening, I was like, "This is interesting." What are they saying? And I headed to the lyrics and started reading. I was like, mm. "Yo, like these are deep. This isn't. Mm. We're not talking about you know having sex with some strange girl in these lyrics. We're not talking about." doing drugs off of my Cadillac. We're not talking about intoxicating things that are ruining people's lives, right? We're talking about real stuff. In here. We're talking mm, about life. heavy stuff in here, right? And like, these are my people. That's how I, I felt about it. I was like, these are my people, even though there's a level of immaturity, <laughs> just like in anything <laughs> inside of the metal world as well, right? That it was, right. <clears throat> it was fun, man. We, we were anti everything, <laughs> you know, the rebels mm -hmm. of the world, like, yeah, you know, somebody would say, you know, like this is happening. We'd go, sure. Uh, I'll decide for myself. You know, like those, that's that's what our whole our whole movement was. And so it again, it was intoxicating from that perspective of just like it being so real and raw. Nothing fake about it. Come as you are, come as who you are, and don't be ashamed or afraid of what will happen here. Yes, yeah, pure passion. It sounds like it was pure passion for for you and your bandmates. Uh, the expression, being able to to get your thoughts and your feelings out through music. And we hear that a lot, right, with with people with depression and people going through a breakup and all these things that keep get people down. Music is one of the the top things that I hear from folks that that helps them to cope, that helps them to get them out of that state of mind, either through listening or making the music, playing an instrument, things like that. Hundred percent. The I think the the one thing too that's really interesting about what you just said is the first instrument that I ever had. Guess it, just guess it that I ever played and had. I'm going to say a uh, uh, some kind of brass. Let's go with a trombone. No, but that's but my cousin played sax. Mm. And I'm a huge I'll, saxophone fan because of that. I was a sax player in elementary and middle school. Tell your wife it's over. You're coming. You're coming to my house. You and me, we're living our lives, the rest of our lives together. I'll, I, I'll get, get mine out of here as soon as I but, can. Yeah, no, I, I, there's no way in hell today I could play. The, I think I can maybe play the C. It's, I maybe know bro, what that shit is. Listen, bro, but, it don't uh, even matter. The fact that you played it like you're. You're just perfect in my eyes. You just want like, me to show up on your doorstep with my sex phone hanging around my neck, my little alto sax. I think my mom, I'm pretty sure my mama still has that damn saxophone too. Sick. This would have been it. from and the get a damn. picture of you with it. Uh, you know what? Well, shit. Yeah, good luck finding it, but I'm sure no, it's no. somewhere at their house. Yeah, you'll get it. I promise you. And <laughs> I, I know what kind of guy you are. And when uh, I double I'll... dog dare you right now, you're going to get it. Yep, I'll have to. I've definitely got to find it now. And send you a picture, you know, like a pinup picture, one that you can cop. You can make a big old copy in your brand new copier that you're trying to yeah, work out yeah. and and sell, and you can put it on. Uh, what is it? Uh, damn, what was it? The fat heads you could stick on your wall. Oh yeah, you can have yeah. me on your wall holding yeah, my saxophone. What were those called? Yeah, that's a great they idea. They were fat heads. 
Yeah, fatheads, fatheads. You said it. That's right. They're called mm-hmm. fatheads. What a terrible name for them. But uh, but <laughs> they but anyway, a lot of them though. Yeah, I was gonna say either way, they made a lot of money, right? Like, mm-hmm. what a genius idea. So piano, bro. It was the piano. Oh, so I that, like that's where yeah. I started. It's a crazy thought, Look, right? I love I love the piano, the dueling piano bars, which I'm not sure if they're still a thing or not. I love going to those because those, they, to, I don't know. I just love the sound of the piano. I like classical music. You know, it surprises some people. I love classical music. And the classical music with piano and shit, I, I love the piano. That's good. Matter of fact, I got one in my damn house right now. And I sat down a few months ago and pulled up something on my iPad to start learning how to play and spent about 10 minutes. And I was like, my damn fingers don't work like this. I, ain't, I can't do it. I can't do it. That's awesome, piano. Now, did you pick that up because of church or because yeah, y'all had sister. one? Yeah, mm. my sister. She played it, and and we had one. So, mm. so yeah, my great grandma gave it to my dad. It was her oh, piano. I inherited God. it. I inherited it, but I gave it to my sister last year. I gave a lot of stuff. I, I part of my story, uh, without spoiling too much, if we actually get there, was. <laughs> I sold everything. I sold everything I own in 2021. At the end of 2021, including my my home, my childhood home that I grew mm-hmm. up in, that I bought as an adult, and my rental property, uh, you know, down in 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 Florida. I got. I sold everything. I sold mm-hmm. everything. My wife was keen on it too, right? So it was us, not just me. But um, we got. We have a a garage full of stuff. That's it. You know, like mm-hmm. that's not much <laughs> compared <laughs> to, you know, living in a 3000, 4000 square foot house and having it full to the brim right prior to. So, so yeah, we, we sold everything and, and I couldn't get, how can you sell your great grandma's piano? You know? So mm-hmm. I was, called my sister and was like, yo, what's up? <laughs> I yeah. don't know what to do with this. Yeah. And I, the pi- I ain't yeah. trying to give it to, you know, just anybody. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? The piano I got was my mom's that she got when, I don't know, she was like 12 or something. Her parents bought, they didn't have a lot of money farming, and they they bought her that piano for one Christmas, and this it went, we had it, and then it went to my cousins, and she learned how to play piano, and they had it up until a couple years ago, and I drove down and brought it, and my little daughter, she, she farts around on it a little bit, but we have it. It's an heirloom, just like yours. It's not quite as old. Yeah, I I feel like I'm trying to think of the name. I was just trying to Google it. Um, I can't remember the name of the, the. It was a baby, not a baby grand. It was a. It was like the the stand up version of a grand piano. I can't remember mm. what they were called though. But it was a dope little piano, bro. I mean, I'll probably at some point like uh, <clears throat> when I have my final home that we're gonna we're building right now that we're gonna plan to live in. For the rest of our life, if not like full time, we'll always have it. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm probably gonna go grovel at my sister's feet and be like, "Grab my <laughs> piano back." <laughs> if you're not playing it, I need my piano back. Yeah, probably should do that. Think speaking of that, but yeah, they. I, I think that the interesting part is like again, like how people find the music in the first place and like what their expression of art is <clears throat> and right. how those things align. Like some people, you bro, like you can totally stereotype a bro, uh, not to use that word, like too derogatory because I love saying it, but. <laughs> Don't they, call me bro, you know, bro. Yeah, a bro or whatever. I mean, 
whatever we want to call him, you, you can you can spot a that guy right a million miles away when he pulls up in his truck that's way too big and and you're listening you hear just like disturbed or slipknot coming out of it there's nothing wrong with those bands but you look at the guy and he's just got like short hair and he's like one arm up on the wheel and he's got like a barbed wire tattoo around his arm and like <laughs> he's got like a, a wife beater on and and Half he looks like he just came out of the on. bro dude he looks like he just came out of the gym and he's headed to Abercrombie and Fitch to buy some new jeans you know like for real, but because it, like he's it, a, he's a violent yeah. person. He's just an angry person. He likes loud, heavy music because he likes guns, and he, you know, like there's a stereotype to it. And there's nothing wrong with any of this stuff. I've been mean, I'm sounding sarcastic when I'm saying it, right? But but <laughs> ultimately, like there's there is a version of a person that listens to this stuff because they are violent, right? Like we like as an example, we played Queens, and we played with a band that actually had a a blood that was the lead singer. And so his whole gang, the bloods came out to the show and mm. they were extremely violent people. They, they taped empty bottles, forties to their hands and, and drank them and then went into the show and were swinging arms left and right and smacking until the bottles broke. Damn. And then there was blood everywhere. And I mean, so like, again, there's a, there's a version of a person that shows up to that like heavy music mm -hmm. for sure. Right. That is very stereotyped to that heavy music. But see, this is the problem with most things is that we stereotype them because of that one person where the majority of people that were, that were into metal were the kids that started with a piano mm. and they, and they had a differentiation, like a calling on their walk, right. To be something just a little out of left field so that you could, better understand people so that you could be prepared for the hardest moments even so that you weren't a pushover. You know, I'm not a toxic, uh, uh, like by any means male. Right. But I'm not one of those people that thinks let's, let's suck it up. Let's, you know, let's, let's be tougher. Right. But you had their head. There's a certain level of you that, that, that has to understand that you're powerful and you can't be pushed. You can't be run over. You have to be, strong and for me like i like i struggled with that my whole life because i have this very uh, i'm a i'm the biggest guy like i was always the biggest guy i was like the second biggest guy on the basketball court right so i'd play a four and in soccer everybody was tiny smaller than me so i could play any i they put me in any freaking position bro because uh -huh. i could play them all and i just run you over even the defense um yeah like i was i was a a, a dominant male but bro, I'd run you over and score on you and pick you up. Be like, dude, That's thanks, right. thanks for the the great competitive, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> whatever you want to call that you just put up. Do you want to get lunch? My name's Dale, right? <laughs> and a lot of people would spit in my face or stomp on my toe uh -huh. when I did those things, right? But I could have cared less because for me, like, life is worth living with people, with mm. community. And so metal was my community. So even those those nasty evil people that would show up. To those shows with, occasionally, with you'd always scissors. find one, bro. You'd always find one, yeah. right? And they guys, it, would, yeah, they'd be doing this, bro. The the other bands would be doing this as soon <laughs> as they could see one, you know, like so. We all knew who it was because they were gonna at some point they're gonna hit a girl or they were gonna do something stupid, and we we're gonna have to be the guys that stepped in and and we're like, hey, 
Uh, this isn't acceptable, mm-hmm. right? So, so it's that defense mentality, right? That defender mentality. But, but mm. it is again, it's interesting, like the culture of music and how we got there, right? But my 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 upbringing ends in music around the age of twenty two as a as a touring act. Although we did like a couple years into that, even twenty three, twenty four, I I did play in different bands as well too, where we played around the Central Florida area, and so you could come see me play still and and we use the old band as credibility for that right but i was selling copy mm-hmm. machines at that point full time and when I did you start at, at when my did you start with copy machines 2021 20, uh, okay. uh, uh, sorry age 21 21 when i was 20 when i was 21 years old coming off of the like the craziest tour i'd ever been on got married and basically was like i can't i can't do this anymore like the drugs the temptations the mm. the just everything about it bro was just so heavy like it it wasn't fun anymore it was mm-hmm. dramatic political and and then any if you one choice could ruin your life the smallest mm-hmm. choice right like to just be in the room when somebody overdosed would ruin mm. your life right and and so for me it was like i gotta i gotta start working away from this if I can. Right. But there was always the, the coin flip, right. It was, I still want to be a musician, right. Mm-hmm. Let's just see what happens. So I worked three jobs. I sold copiers. I would bar back at a, a blues bar in Sanford, Florida. And then I, I worked weddings at a, at a venue in winter park called Mead gardens and, or yeah, Mead gardens. I almost called it Lou garden. Sorry. Shout out to Laura Ritzy. <laughs> my, my, <clears throat> the OG, female mentor in my business career and and so i i hustled you know i mm-hmm. we went paycheck to paycheck working three jobs my maybe it was 2008 2009 right there's a mini recession happening it's in an industries that are causing my dad's business to suffer from the print side real estate mortgages right like like he all lost the shit a ton that of was business. So it was a battle, man. I learned some crazy stuff. And and that's when I, it was those years that I realized that even though I might've been experiencing it, I wasn't allowing myself to, to fully realize that my depression had never left me. Mm. It was those years because it was so easy to go back into those places with all this, these detrimental things that were happening in my life. I I mean, we missed mortgage payments, you know, like that gets your house taken. Right. And I just bought one and it was, and guys and girls listening, like it was a duplex. They split the purchase with my sister. Right. Like it was like, it wasn't like I had everything going for me. I like, bro, I I go to get approved for a loan and they're like, you can get approved for this much. It was like 70,000. And and then cheapest house was 300 grand, 200 grand. And I was like, what? And my sister just happened to be three years older than me, had better credit, had rental history because she'd been living on her own, doing her thing. Right. And so she, so she could get approved for like a $210,000 loan. I was like, yo, she was trying to get the $300 house too. And I'm like, let's just, like, <laughs> Hey, what's up girl. And then her and I went in on a property together so that we didn't have to rent anymore and that we could mm-hmm. have privacy. And, and it was as private as it gets, right. It was a duplex. I had probably, she suffered, from us because I had a hundred people over every week, you know, it was a party boy Dale. Right. But it's really my extrovertedness, right. More than anything. Right. And it's a great host. 
I'm good at that. So I have people over all the time. Hell, I'm in the middle of a mountain. I'm about six hours away from you, Paul, five hours away from you. And this mm-hmm. is an open invitation to you and your family to come here and let me host you right here on this podcast live at the 54th minute. Come we, on. Now. We're going to, we are going to, we're, we're going to try to make that happen for sure. I'll, I'll bring, I'll bring the beer dust, my barbecue rub, some barbecue sauce, and we'll cook meats and have a good time. I, I can't wait, bro. So, hey, so and hopefully, and hopefully, the the fucking bear that stole the rub that I sent you doesn't come back around looking for more, bro. I think he, <laughs> I think he got scared off. Honestly, I think he was like, "What is this deliciousness? How does this exist anywhere other than like in a berry that I just ate out of this log?" Right? He was freaked out. He's not coming back anytime soon. Y'all, I think this it, is your just... beard dust might have actually brought the ancient bear back, bro, because I saw the 500-pounder coming home from a mm. from the airport. Around the same time, the beard dust went missing. And <laughs> so we never saw the bear, but like that could have that the, the five the ancient the the mountain, you know, folk talk about oh, there's a 500 pounder oh. out here. You're like, no, there's not. Like I saw him. <laughs> I actually saw him. I know he exists now, or she. They're massive. It could have been coming yeah. for your beard dust, bro. So that's here's, here's the story. That's it. What we're what we're talking about is I sent Dale. It's been a year ago, maybe. Yeah. I think y'all just moved to Tennessee it's just recently. Got there, bro. Yeah. And I sent Dale a shirt and some beard dust. And I sent uh some stuff to some other people. They'd all got theirs. I knew Dale was out traveling. And so finally I texted him. I was like, Man, did did you did the shit come in? He goes, Bro. We got back in a bear I tore into our mailbox and he took the beard yeah. dust and Straight left the up. shirt because it was yeah. wrapped in the, the beard dust wrapped in the shirt. <laughs> yeah. It was like, it was funny because it was piecemealed, you know, we found it that way. It was just like, <laughs> oh, there, there's, what's that? Like, and then the package and then the beard dust, I was, beard dust was gone, bro. It's just gone. Just like they licked it clean, bro. I mean, that thing was just ripped open. I was intense. It was intense, yeah. So, so I don't know where we were with my story. You were, it was somewhere you were, dope. you were, you were just starting to sell copiers. You yes. and your sister bought Recession, the house together. Buying the house, yeah. yeah. And your depression was still was still there. Yeah, heavily, right? So I, for the next, this is two thousand eight, two thousand nine, right? So for the next about four years, it just got worse and worse. But then there was these glimmers of hope, right? Like we turned my dad's business around two thousand ten, two thousand eleven. It was like wow didn't think we could get to this place. You know, the long game started to be something that came into fruition for me. And like, I actually mm. could experience it. So I was, I was like, I'm playing this one for sure. Uh, enough with this instant gratification mindset. And then ultimately we sold the business. He was so profitable and we were making so many waves and, mm. and there's a lot of details to that, bro. Like we got a, a handful of offers. My dad took like one of the lowest offers because he knew the people he mm. trusted them and he wanted to see, his legacy of 29 years get taken by the right folks. And he wanted to see his prospects, his clients taken care of. He wanted to see his employees taken care of. He he, ultimately, he wanted to see me get put into a good place, which is just Mm -hmm. how selfless my father was and why I I owe him everything that I have today. But, but again, I digress that the details of that are intense, right? But, but ultimately we sell this business and kind of cliff notes of the next several years from a, from a sales perspective is, is that I just exploded. Like the copy warrior became a legend in the area that everybody knew who I was. Uh, yeah. I, I was just the life of the party. Basically I could get what into any this? door. 
uh, uh, from 2012 when we sold it all the way to 2017 with this company, mm. uh, I just crushed it. Uh, I went from the three jobs combined. You know, you could probably say I was making like 45, maybe $50,000 a year, maybe 55 max, right? First year after the acquisition and we had cleaned up the finances and like I could actually get paid commissions <laughs> instead of just kind of like getting some extra money and rebuilding my dad's business. Uh, yeah. I, I made a 150 to $185,000 somewhere in that range. And it, it, imagine what happens, right? Like all of a sudden your bank account's flowing with cash because I lived off of 35 grand a year for, for most of my life. That's with the cash that I was making. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so I, 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 for the next several years, I was frugal, did everything right. Never bought the big fancy car. I never bought the big, you know, big bad house. Never did any of the status stuff. You know, I was no a very jets. giving person, right. But no jets, no Grant Cardone jets. No, maybe one day, <laughs> maybe he'll give me his, uh, just like he got it from somebody else. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, but uh, the the big picture perspective was is that I, because of the things that were happening outside of like the success of my business, the struggles I was having with depression, with like going back into uh, becoming suicidal uh, slowly but surely, and really it was just like a slow build that I was ignoring. And, and it, it just, it got to me, the status, the pressure, the, the ups and downs of sales are extraordinarily heavy. Um, the, the deaths in my family, the inadequacies, the abuses I suffered as a child, the relationship with my wife and thinking that I wasn't good enough for her, that she didn't love me it's stories I was telling myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, things I was building up through these just evil, wrong visions and, and, uh, doubts that were being plagued and festering in my mind uh, within my, my head constantly. I, I attempted to kill myself again. I actually, I wrote a suicide note. I did like the more adult version, if you will. I, I hate to put it that way, but I did my research basically this time. I, I, I was pretty much over everything and I was, extremely misguided, you know, through uh, thoughts and uh, a battle that I was waging internally that a lot of people don't like to talk about because uh, it's kind of freaky. What year, what year did this, did you hit this low point? What year was that? It was about 2014. So you were, you were just starting to make the big money. Everything was, was, nice and good and you'd brought your your help bring your dad's business up into selling it and it was like you were at the top of where you were and that's when you were at your lowest yeah uh 2014 i was i went that that 180 i never made that again i never went down i just kept mm -hmm. just going and 16 was probably my biggest grossing year, but 14, I mean, was big. It was real big. And I mean, that's power. There's power in that stuff that people don't talk about. Like when you can look in your bank and your checking account has $90,000 in it and you don't need that money either. And uh, you can pretty much do anything you want. It's not what people think. And this is a guy that came from comfort and 100% from privilege 
Uh, I'm not saying that somehow I'm like trailer trash white. You know, my dad was, my dad lived paycheck to paycheck Mm. in a very nice neighborhood running his own business. He never had a savings. He provided for us on a level that was sacrifice. Ultimately Mm -hmm. he gave us the things that, that he never had. He made a, a very clear path for us. He paved it with his own two hands, his blood, his sweat, his tears. And, and so I, I come from that privilege, the privilege of a father that looked and said, I don't want my kids to go through this stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to have to worry about these things. I'm going to just take care of it. it. You know, the guy went into to the deepest debt that you and I could ever imagine. He was sued for a million dollars because of a business partner that stole from the bank <laughs> and mm-hmm. then disappeared. And my dad, instead of fighting it and getting an attorney to fight it, he said, let's do the right thing. This money was taken by our company and we're going to pay it back. I mean, my dad was an incredible human, bro. And and so, again, like I, I tell that kind of a story to help you to understand that he didn't come from riches either. He could have, mm. if all these things hadn't happened, he very well, you know, could have had a savings account. He could have been doing doing real well. Right. But, bro, I showed my dad the 2013 W2, which was like 290. 280,000 and and he, he grabbed me like like dude this is amazing <laughs> he's like i have never made this much money in a year That's for awesome. myself like this this is a you know phenomenal job dale and i'll never forget that moment bro it was a moment mm. and just my dad's excitement for me and my financial independence that i i worked extremely hard for because he even though he gave us comfort as kids, bro, when I turned 18, it was like, get your get your ass in gear, son. And when I came to work for him, it wasn't handouts. It wasn't like, oh, you're missing a bill this week. You can't pay your mortgage. Let me give you some money. Yeah. No, he couldn't help. He, yeah. he wasn't setting himself up to do that in the first place as, an, as a child or an adult, a parent adult relationship right he wasn't he didn't have a savings he couldn't dish he out nothing to people. give yeah he was his business was suffering we were in a recession he was losing hundreds of thousands of dollars a month i mean it was crazy so speaking so, of your dad real quick before we go yeah. before we move forward in that speaking of your dad tell tell a story or two of when you were working for him when y'all would come back and i, I can't remember off the top of my head there's one that's on there uh I can't remember anyway i'll let you tell a story Cause you've got a bunch of them where y'all come back and your dad is telling y'all to get back out there and do stuff. And uh, I can't remember the guy you were working with your partner at the time, but tell some of the stories, tell a story or two of your dad when y'all were selling, telling y'all to get jazz back out there and go to work. And some of the crazy shit that y'all did to make a name and to get and to sell these printers. It was fun, man. My dad was fun. He, he threw us to the wolves. He was like, Hey, look, I can put you through like, cold call boot camp, but the only way to be good at this is to get the experience. And he, he said, I'm not going to like teach you exactly how as, as I learned, because then you probably quit. You know, that's what he used to say. <laughs> but, but he, you know, he'd be like, I ain't going to help you as well as you think I might help you. Bottom line. Right. And they, and he, he didn't lie, man. I mean, there was several times and I was like, Hey, can you check out this paperwork? I got to go you know, take it to so-and-so to get it signed. He'd be like, that's not my job. (laughs) (laughs) He'd be like, and I'd be like, okay. Like, so should I just have him sign? He'd be like, go through the the channels, bro. Like get it done. Like, and if you think it's right and, and you've checked your, 
you know, all your I's and T's, like you're good to go, dude. You know, and I can't say how many times he had to clean up my mistakes. I remember one of my first sales ever, bro. I made $200 and I actually owed, sorry, I made $20 and actually $74 and I owed the company 200 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> After uh, my dad gave me 20 bucks to give me a $20 bill. That's what he did. He's like, let's just call it even. <laughs> So there was there was a lot of moments like that in my life. <laughs> mm. That's funny. So <laughs> some of my first sale and I had owed the company money. That's, yeah, uh... pretty, pretty much right. So so dad, I got stories of dad like <laughs> I got stories of dad uh, us coming in. We had a car that we were carpooling in that man it got. Uh, you know, probably 11 miles to the gallon and, and it, it had no air conditioning. It's Florida mm. summer. We're out selling. And I, bro, we had to go back to the office like 10 times to change our clothes. And my dad had no mercy. Right. He was like, he's like, why even change them? If it's like, just stay out there. Like you got to get this stuff done. You committed this to me or right, go get it, go finish it up. Yeah. He loved it though. You know, you could see like underneath his, stern look he was like <laughs> loving every moment of like what he was teaching us because he knew we weren't going to die he wasn't mm -hmm. <laughs> creating anything you know terrible for us he was more than anything he was helping us to to gain our own aptitude and knowledge and experience you know with our own two hands so i, I remember uh uh copier cells would drive you insane i remember one of uh the reps that i worked with he his name was Shannon Mars. This kid was amazing. He's one of my brother's really good friends. <clears throat> and we went to this place where he had been calling on this person. And they were like, he told me that they were nice. They were being nice to him. And he's like, let's go down there and see these guys. Maybe you can help me kind of go a little bit further. And, and bro, we walk into this place. And I'm thinking like that these people know him, you know, because he's like, yeah, I've had some conversations with him, whatever. Right. Like, bro, yeah, we nice. go into this place. And, and everyone is basically ignoring us at first. And I'm just thinking like, well, they'd obviously don't like recognize you. So you don't know him that well. Right. And, and finally the guy's like, can I help you? And he's like, and he goes, Mike. And he's like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, I'm the sales rep that came in the other day. And you told me that your boss wasn't here, but he was. <laughs> this is literally what he says to him, bro. And I'm standing next to him. Like, uh, I don't think hold, <laughs> uh, like kind of trying to, he's like, yeah, go ahead and let him know I'm here again. And then I'd like to talk. And and the guy just goes, sure. And he, go, and he goes, and I turn to him and I go, this is not going to be good. I just want to <laughs> tell you that I'm going to let you do whatever it is that you think is right at this stage. But so far, this is not a good interaction at all. Period. He's like, what? <laughs> He must have grown up really rough if that's what he called people being nice to him. Bro, it was intense, bro. So he so so the guy comes out, the details are are skinny, right? I mean, the guy basically kicks us out and and you know Shannon gives him like the well, thanks for your time, you know, and like bro, it was like a blackout moment for him, right? He punched that night I think he's got my brother in the car at this point. He punched, and maybe he doesn't. He punched through his his uh, moon ceiling. What do they call those? Come on, S sunroof. Sunroof. Yeah, they're called like a moon <laughs> roof now. Yeah, yeah. 
because they're double wide now. But, oh, yeah, but yeah, he, yeah. he punched through it and broke it, right? Like <laughs> driving home. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I, Florida, I've watched it probably rain three inches that I, night, too. Bro, he, he probably lost all of his, his, his car was destroyed without a doubt. <laughs> probably lost his insurance coverage. He, they probably totaled the vehicle just because of that, right? But, um, the the i watched the the industry like break people and and i what was always crazy though is just like how my dad would handle it right like that guy goes in to like resign it's at the job and my dad's like cool here's two weeks mm. thanks for your commitment like thanks yeah. for your hard work like that that it happened more times than i can count my dad was always willing to like with the guys that couldn't sell he was always willing especially the ones that i brought in he was always willing to like explore their options at the job with them mm-hmm. and give them an opportunity to still have a home if they liked it here. And I was just a good leader. You know, ultimately my dad was just a good leader. The, the problem was that from my perspective is that he wasn't a CEO, he was a salesperson. Mm-hmm. It was the only reason why he could never really get the, the company to the levels that he desired it to be at that some people see as success. But the thing is, bro, is that even when I say that I've said that thousands of times in the last few years, I always get this like reality check. It's like, but the thing is, is even if he wanted it to be something that it wasn't, I never saw the man discontent. I never saw him ungrateful. I never saw him wishing that it would be different. Never. I, and my dad had a prayer journal and I inherited it when he passed away. And bro, every day with the prayers that he would write, the humility he would express, the things he says, in this journal are amazing. The kind of example that you wish you had, if you're listening to this and you didn't have a good relationship with your father. And so I'm privileged. I'm extremely privileged. I watched a man love his wife for 40 plus years. Right. And they, they met at 12. He died at Mm. 60. Right. I mean, I just, I, I, I can't stress enough how incredible my father was. He saved my life the day I tried to kill myself. Mm. He doesn't even probably know it to this day. I never really expressed exact. I just, I came clean. That's all that really happened. Ultimately, I, the attempt fails and I came clean. And it all starts with showing up early in the morning to the office and he's in there. <laughs> I still get choked up when I think about it. And he didn't say he was going to be, and he's never there that early. It's like 530. Mm. And he just walks around the, 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 the office wall and he looks at me and he goes, what you doing? And I'm looking busy trying to like play it all off. Literally have a written suicide note in the desk drawer that I hid in there real quick. And and I said, what are you doing here? And he said, I don't know. I just had a feeling I was supposed to be here. It's powerful. It's intense, bro. So, so my father was a, he was a massive influence on me, but he's, he also, he was very willing. He was willing to risk, willing to put himself to the side for the safety and comfort of others, for the, the wellness and well-being of others. And, be, and because of that, bro, he's a legend in my book. He will never die. I will never forget him. His voice, his mannerisms, his passion, his humility, his love. I'll never forget any ounce of it for the rest of my life. I owe him so much of who I am and my success. 
because you know because after that like he left me two years later to be with the lord and mm. then it was a tough day and it was a tough time i mean that story is an intense one i i tell it a lot but it's you know i'm in iceland he's dying of cancer i mean it's it was crazy and it all happened so fast i remember when i was leaving you know and he's like go 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 on your trip bro y'all have fun i'll be fine i'll be here when you get back and then all of a sudden it's like the opposite, right? It was intense. It was, it was real. It was raw. And I'm, I'm sitting here two years out of like this major struggle that I've had that even at the time, I feel like I kept most of it a secret again, like even some details probably like in a, not on purpose, right. By any means, but in a way, like to my own wife, to my own self, right. I, I, I lied just to like not have to admit what had happened. And, and then my dad leaves me, bro. And it was a moment that I thought would multiply that sadness and mm -hmm. would take, take me to be honest. I had a lot of fear in the beginning. And then I got to go say goodbye, see him. I got to eulogy at his funeral and man, I had a, I had moments of breakthrough and, I mean, it was intense, bro. Like my dad healed me in his absence. Like he healed me from the spiritual realm, right? Like somebody said that when they watched me give the eulogy, just as a, an example of how powerful this, this day was, they said they saw my father put his hands on my shoulders mm. up there, like that they saw this vision. And I just thought that's crazy because I felt him do that in my mind. And how do you... How do how do you not fall back into that darkness, that depression that you had a couple of times before in your life after losing, you know, one of the greatest people in your your life? What did you do to to push forward and to not fall back? Yeah, I'll like admittedly I I I didn't handle it right. And I actually I, I masked it and uh, covered it up is probably a better way to put it. Like I had delayed the inevitable. Ultimately I did things like I bought his house that I grew up in that was for sale. It was his last debt, you know, that he, that he owed <clears throat> on this earth. And I thought, Oh man, I'll, this was my favorite place. I love this place. Uh, it's freaking amazing. I I'll, I'll buy it. It'll help me. It'll heal me. It'll like keep my dad close to me, bro. I tried to kill myself in that house, bro. I suffered from night terrors for half of my life in that place. That place was a place of fear. It was a place of disease, of 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 death, of doubt. It was a terrible place, right? But here I am telling myself, "Oh no, man! Like it's a great place. <laughs> it's your dad's <laughs> house, bro. Get mm -hmm. it." And, and it was keeping up with the Joneses, bro. We sold it for just under a million bucks, you know, like, mm. like that's, it's, I was in a wealthy place and wealthy neighborhood. My dad had just like done the right thing. He bought it for $80,000. Wow. <laughs> You're like, wow. it just was one of, it was one of those, right? Like mm -hmm. one of those moments, one of those instances. So we had the opportunity to just like have it in a place that's coveted that everybody wants to live in. And it was like, Oh, this is meant to be, this is destiny. And it wasn't bro. It, if anything, it made things worse. And it just, it was all just being covered up ultimately. And a lot of the abuses and things that I struggled with when I was younger were coming out through the woodworks. I mean, bro, 2020, I, 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 I didn't feel suicidal by 
necessarily or by any means, but um, on my birthday, I struggled deeply and I did start to, I didn't attempt it, but I did start to, to struggle with thoughts of it and which is where it always started. And, and, but that time around, I was able to talk a little bit about it. Right. Mm. Hey, I'm not doing so hot, right. For like the first time <laughs> and which is crazy, but I started talking about my depression in 2019 and did my, you know, close circles and then in 2021 bro i mean it was like a lot of people don't know that that know me even like didn't know i should say until i exposed it that uh i mean i was suffering heavily with with depression with my sadness and bro it was it's a it's a long story the cliff notes of it are that we just my wife and i were like we got to start changing some stuff that's the premise of the the healing and which leads to what I talked about earlier. We sold the home, we sold our personal belongings. We minimized our life, right? We got rid of all the things that were masking the pain. We got rid of the things that we were using as a crutch. And mostly me, you know, my wife wasn't doing any of this just along for the ride and supporting the shit out of me, you know, more than anything, right? So so here I am like tormenting <laughs> the love of my life even. And I know that she, she doesn't feel that way ultimately, but, but that's how I felt looking back mm-hmm. on it multiple times. And, and man, I mean, it got real. I mean, I didn't actually try to kill myself in 2021, but dude, it like, <laughs> I mean, I went, I went and bought a bunch of paint, like ibuprofen, like just thinking like, well, this would probably be the better way to do it if I did do it. So I'll just leave this here. Mm. right like i mean crazy thoughts like that's not normal or (laughs) yeah it's not part of a routine by any means right so i and in my mind i'm thinking like well why am i getting why am i having to go back to this and struggle with this right that was the big issue that i was like wait like here i am this guy that you know to a fault is extremely compassionate kind and loving that is in love uh, with the the God that I serve and and all these terrible things are happening to me like it it makes you question everything literally everything but this time I was able to open up fully to my wife and tell her things like yo if I try to get out of the bed at night and leave like don't let me yeah I will come back and then like have those deep conversations and that's ultimately what started the healing the healing really it exists when the silence is broken. And a lot of people will say things like, you know, I've no, I've told people I've have a counselor like, bro, counselor isn't the person that will die beside you mm. at a moment's notice. Right. you got to tell the people that love you. You got to tell the people that you actually care about. Just like we we're watching some show the other night and my wife says she observes this woman and she's like, well, if you don't talk about it, you're never going to fix it. And I'm like, that's mm. it. Like, it's so simple sometimes. Right. But it's it is it's hard. It's not easy to talk about these things. But I've been released by breaking that silence and now i realize that ultimately the best way to to defeat it is to be extraordinarily transparent about it and and discuss it like right now and allow myself go ahead my like those deep dark places inside of me what was there a catalyst or did you did you finally accept it what what was holding you back you know those years before from talking to your wife, you know, your, your soulmate, 
what was what was holding you back? Do you know, or did something just click? Did you just finally tell yourself, "I accept this. This I, I can't be like this anymore." What was what was the thing that made you sit down and talk to her and say, "We got to change. I have to change." A culmination of things, just not one thing, right? It was just everything that was literally going on in my life. I, I, I finally sat down and became aware of it. I that, that the changes that were made look like this. <clears throat> I stepped down as CEO at the Sales Rebellion and asked one of my business partners, my my business, my my best friend, the guy that runs the the place with me. I went to him and was like, bro, I can't, I gotta get out of this role. It's not for me. I suck at it. Somebody else can do a better job. And it's it's ultimately I, I'm holding on to it for some kind of fear of losing power or control. And that's not healthy for me. And I'm I'm done being a victim mm -hmm. of these things. And I'm not gonna get all toxic and and be like power through this, right? I'm gonna be mm -hmm. better. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna man up, suck it up and do these things, right? I I'm not like that, bro. I like happiness too much to be like that in the first place. Right. But you know, that's one decision. And, and, and so like this whole identity of the question of like, how did you know and what got you, what's the thing that got you to open up? It was, it's just all these little things. And it really, it, it started with like going to my wife and telling her things that for you know my whole life with her, I've wanted to say, mm. it's a crazy thought, but there's someone listening right now. The only reason I express that is because there's someone listening right now that feels the same way. Mm -hmm. And they feel like, well, I'll, I'll just never be able to. But it's not true. And and that level of awareness and ultimately that level of surrender, which mm. is probably the best word to describe the moment, yes. the thing, that moment of surrender of just saying, like, I don't have to beat any of this. <laughs> I need to just give up because what's what i'm really struggling fighting is myself <laughs> like that's all right. i'm really fighting right now i need to surrender and give up and stop trying to control these things and allow other people to be a part of this healing and and lay it down at the feet of my savior and say and really just surrender and give it all back burn the ships and, and, and I became convicted, bro, on a level. I don't think a lot of people get the opportunity to be convicted on. I'm grateful because of it, because uh, I'm happier uh, this last year, this whole year, bro, 2022. Hot damn, bro. I mean, <laughs> I can't remember the last time I had a year this good. I just I've never been more in love with my wife. I'm, we have a baby on the way, April 16th, 2023. My son's four. <laughs> there's that clap. Clap, clap button. Clap button. <laughs> no, there's, I live in the woods. I rent mm -hmm. instead of own. I'm 37. I have a business. I have so much freedom and flexibility in my life that I've I've always dreamed of and desired to have that I finally gave myself permission to accept and live in. And it and for me it's it's ultimately where I've always wanted to be. I've never been a materialistic guy. Like just give me a four walls with windows and a bed. Just just give me love. Give me experiences. Put me in a city that nobody goes to with a little Asian lady that makes one dish and it and it's the same dish she makes for her family when they come to visit her on Christmas morning. Mm. Right. Like that's love. That's a feeling. That's a moment. That's culture. That's expression. That's art. That's who I am. That's who Dale Dupree is at his core.
too too often we attach ourselves to the materialistic side. We attach ourselves to our money. We allow that to be the thing that symbolizes who we are. We we say this this car, this vehicle, this is how people know me. <laughs> this Maserati, this is how people know me. Right? <laughs> like that, we do that. You know, we yeah. we step out and we got hundred thousand dollar you know set of clothes on with our accessories and everything, thinking somehow I give a shit. Nobody cares. The only thing, the only people that care are the people that want it too. And that, that type of power is manipulate. I have watched it ruin lives. All right. Cause I didn't hang out in a, in a poor crowd when I got started making money. I mean, I was in CEOs offices that made $40 million a year. Like I, yeah. I became friends with these people. I built trust and credibility with them. I hung out in their circles and I'm not saying they're all bad, bro. But a lot of them are, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that they're, they're not people I want to be like. There's no. some, you know, they hit me up every once in a while. They've been like, hey, how's it going with your brand? And been thinking about, you know, maybe we should do some collaborations. Like, I'm usually like, sure thing. <laughs> and then stop responding. Because <laughs> <You're like>, <laughs> it's out there. And like, I love those people and respect them. And I'm grateful for everything that they are to me and have been to me. But I learned from them, bro. I learned how to beat the things that I've struggled with that we just talked about through those experiences that I had with people like them in the first place. So for me, it's a season, right? It's a season of my life. I learned through it, the ultimate release, which is surrendering. And in the process of doing that, bro, I've, I have never been more free in, in my life. And I, I hope to, to teach people, about this type of freedom. I hope to be able to be part, not a poster child or some kind of celebrity, but one of the guys that's whispering in people's ears going, stop lying to yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to be that person. Like well, I had the opportunity to sit with a, a new friend today and just speak Jesus over her, bro. Like, and that's how I look at it when I can, I get all prophetic, right? When she's like, man, I'm thinking about starting this business, but there's these things in the way. And I, and all I hear is limiting beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. I hear doubt. I hear I hear the world ha- having dispelled that freedom in your mindset. And I know it because I suffered from that same thing all my life. <laughs> and, and so I fight it <laughs> every day. Like, and I take, I take those opportunities to not be the friend that's like, that's okay. I take this opportunity to be like, no, those are lies the, you are better than this let's go yeah that's the and that's the mindset you hear about is people you know they want to start a business and the only thing you hear them talk about is what if it fails what if this happens you know all the bad shit what if it doesn't fail what if it's successful why, why are we not thinking why are we not thinking on that side yeah. of the aisle why is why is everything what what happens if it fails or you know what happens if if I can't do this or hit my goals, yeah, I, I'm like, well, fuck it. Then it fails. You go off and you do something else. You know, it's natural in humans though, bro. Like you're not, you're not human. (laughs) It's not to say that I don't think like that sometimes, but I, I want to put my, my limited mind thought, (laughs) you know, I want to put it towards, I don't give a shit. If it fails, it fails. I, you it. know, this, that's what's the worst thing that happens? You know, there, there's it, a lot yeah. of bad things that could happen, but it's, it's that mindset of, I don't, if it fails, it fails. But what if it, what if it gets so big, I got to hire somebody? What if it gets so big that, you know, it, 
I don't know what to do at that point. Like, what if he gets bigger than what I know? That's the kind of stuff where the folks that I've been around who've been super successful, they never thought about it failing. I mean, they, they probably had contingency plans, but their thing was always like, how do we make this work? If this works and it gets bigger, uh, how do we grow from there? And it was always the mindset of looking forward to success. Man, that's powerful. I just wrote most of that down. <laughs> the, <laughs> I do. I Because I, I, it's easy for guys like me and you, especially with where I'm at in my life, to talk about this too, right? Because we've had awakenings. We mm-hmm. we understand the power of vulnerability of like expressing the the things that we struggle with and 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 that it gives us the mentality of what you talked about, which is action ultimately. People say like mm-hmm. this mindset stuff is fluff, right? It's like, well, it's fluff because most people just think of it as like, oh, thoughts and prayers. That ain't it. They, they write it's that shit action. down on a paper right. and never do anything. How many, exactly. I mean, how many times do you hear people say, man, I had this great, great ass idea. And that, that, that's what it was right there 10 years ago. But, you know, I didn't have the money. I didn't have the time or I didn't know what I was doing. Those right. things are limiting. And it's the people that say, huh, I'm going to try this because they don't give a shit if it fails. Yeah. Well, I don't give a fuck. I'll go do something else. <laughs> yeah, well, right. Exactly. Like it's to me, it's it, the people that that are instilling a different style of hope into society, one that's action based are the mm-hmm. folks that not, not only are they thoughts and prayers, but they're the action of those things. They show up to the city. They come to the memorial. They knock on your door a day later and say, we're here to help. Mm-hmm. They, they're the action more so than just the, oh, how terrible. Let's let's lift these people up. Because that's mindset crowd, right? They're like, just manifest it. <laughs> like, yeah. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Because ultimately, like, do you. But the thing my dad taught me was that, like, have faith, son. Mm-hmm. Like, surrender. He taught me that my whole life. And I just finally fr- freaking listened and learned it. You know what I mean? Like, and that's that years. beauty of, yeah, mm-hmm. right. That's that beauty of the father son dynamic though as well too you know and that's the beauty of it's the beauty of what my dad built with me ultimately and the long game he played with his children even instead of saying they're going to be good all the time <laughs> you know he's like no nah, i'm gonna lose them around the, like 15 until 25 mm-hmm. probably and so i'm gonna, <laughs> i'm gonna be around i'm gonna do it in my own unique way and i'm gonna be part of that that thing that when they're 37, they'll be thinking about those words and listening. Like I just found this, this note, I'm going to throw it up for the world to see it. It's somewhere in here, bro, like right in front of me, but uh, anybody listening just head to my, my LinkedIn, whenever this came out, head to my LinkedIn is probably up there, but I mm. found a note. My wife gave it to me and I, when I saw it, I, she saw in my eyes that it was, it hit heavy because I opened it and I realized it was the year my dad gave that to me the year that I tried to kill myself and, and as an adult and the words, <laughs> the things he says, it's incredible what kind of influence he was on me. And it's, and he only really acknowledges like the, the trauma, like the, the, the act, act right at the front. Cause he, he knows, right. He was one of the first people that I told mm. And, and it's, it's just in one sentence, it just says, I'm proud of the way that you handled adversity. Mm-hmm. 
right? Like it just incredible the way he could word things to impact you. And then he's asking me to hold him accountable to being more intentional and to, to, to being more Christ centered and this year. And it's amazing. Just what, just the man he was, he, because again, he was of the, the, the mindset crowd and that, yo, listen, if you're going to sit around and be the person that's constantly negative and having limited beliefs and doubt in your life, then you will not be as happy as you always wanted to be. You'll suffer from anxieties. You'll suffer from panics. You'll suffer from this, the micros of, of things like depression or, you know, a manic state. <laughs> and like, you'll suffer from the smaller stuff for your whole life. Why live like that? Instead, like release it, <laughs> let it out, mm-hmm. let it go. Right. He just, the way that he was so good at being a part of that mindset crowd, but then having the ability to act, bro, you find this man, he would take us on a date night every month, no matter freaking what, bro. He took us wow. out as his kids once a month. And I remember some, some of those times he, you'd get in the car and go, Hey, we're going to the movies. We're going to go get a toy first, but, <laughs> but we got to go see Mrs. Docastool down at, at circle Christian. Are you ready? And you'd be like, yeah, you know, like you almost <laughs> didn't even hear what he said. Right. And then you roll up, it's five 30, right. You roll up to the spot, you walk inside and you give some hugs and you watch your dad, like clear a paper jam and put some screws in something and shove it back in and hit go and give a hug and get back in the car and go do our thing. And those people watched, mm. they were part of that influence that he was having on us too. They saw him show it like, what are y'all doing? Oh, Dale and I have our date night tonight. So we'll get you fixed up before we 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 go and put it into action, though. You're important to us. <laughs> like, that's yeah, powerful that, stuff, bro. Yeah. And one of the things you said about your dad was not here, but in like previous posts and stuff. And when we've talked previously was that the his clients weren't clients. They weren't customers. They were family. And he treated them like that. And they, they felt that way. They felt like they were part of the family. Yeah. I mean, there was over a thousand people at his funeral. Mm-hmm. So a good, a good way to really express that to people listening is that even like people, he, he had died so quick and so suddenly and that there were hundreds of people even after the funeral that called and were like, my God, I can't believe this. And we just found out and there are people for years someone new like once a month right i mean it like (laughs) my dad's reach was endless right it was magnanimous as donald trump would say (laughs) if that's a word you know it was it was big and you know to me like when i really sit back and think about just how impactful a man must be to have so many people come to just literally say goodbye and that, and that, dude, I had people calling me going, I, I'm, I'm sitting in remorse right now. Like I, I'm, I'm filled with, with sadness. I, I always wanted to ask your dad to forgive me for something I did to him. And I never, you know, I never did it. Never got the guts. I was sitting on the line listening to people say this and saying like, bro, my dad forgave you. Trust me. That's who he was. <laughs> Right, because that because he was so good, and they already knew that, dude. And that's what their problem was that they mm-hmm. couldn't comprehend that. 
right? So, you know, you, that's why guys like what, like your mindset, the way I was cultured, the things I've been through, who you are as a, as a father, as a, as a person, as a man, right? An altruistic one, right? It's why we're different than the sheep that are out there because we had examples. We live through things. We have ourselves as well. So you got to remember that, that nobody cares as much as you. My dad always told me that he'd say like, look, you can mirror your life after mine and be a good person, but you could be better than me. Mm -hmm. Right. If you care enough to do that, you know? And so I always liked, you know, people would say nobody cares as much as you as a Marine Corps saying, I think. And it kind of got instilled through my family, through my grandfather and, I'm pretty sure at least because my dad used to say it. And mm-hmm. So did my friend Rich, who was in the my mentor Rich, who was in the the military as well too. But I always liked this thought that I came up with, which was except for me, <laughs> mm. right? <laughs> so that I always wanted to be the servant, right? I always had that's mm-hmm. who I've always been. So the defender is the servant, bro. The one that says, "My this this kid who's." lanky and and 11 is getting beat up by this 15 year old jet you know jacked bro dude that plays basketball every day like i'm going to fight that guy for this nine-year-old lanky kid and Mm -hmm. i don't care if i die i like that's the right thing to do and sure at the time at a young age saying things like that there's no consequences you know like (laughs) right yeah death isn't even really like a thing that you can comprehend until you've been where i've been right and Mm -hmm. So it's it's that state, though, of, of mind of are you willing, right? Just like when I told you that I surrendered, like, bro, God pressed on my heart. Are you willing, bro? <laughs> are you actually going to listen? Are you actually going to be- obey? You say you risk, but I'm asking for more. I'm asking for risk like you're not actually doing. Listen to me, and I'll help you with those things. So I think ultimately it is about – awareness though because of that it's about awareness it's about being able to sit back and be like do i have a drinking problem it's about being able to sit back and be like do i have a problem with porn it's about sitting back and being like do i am i present with my son Mm -hmm. it's about sitting back and going am i do am i working too much am i doing too much is this the right amount am i am i need to be objective to these things and even if in the moment you can't be (laughs) you know like coming back to it being aware of it yeah and all those things you you teach sales all all the things that you just said are not necessarily inherent for people you have to you have to be able to you have to learn how to do those things and a lot of folks don't have the resources to be taught that so they have to go themselves and realize their downfalls and be able to work to make them better they have to learn how to be better. It, what I get out of the story that you told is in 2021, you learned how to truly be happy. And you you were, you know, obviously you were happy and in, in all your life up to that point, you had great things happen and you battled depression. But at that point where you sat down with your wife and opened up and surrendered, you you learned how to become truly happy. And to enjoy life. Mm. Yes. I, I, uh, I keep a journal on my Mm. phone and in like a specific moment, I I'll write, it's part of my release. And 
and like almost everything you're saying is like are like the literal words <laughs> I wrote down <laughs> in the in the moment that I started to really feel connecting with myself. Mm-hmm. Like I still have I still have some some limiting doubts or limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. I still have some some self-doubt. I I I do things like get upset with the way that uh my body looks sometimes like bro you need to lose some weight like you need to work <laughs> out what is wrong with you like your whole life you've done that what are you doing like i have those moments but i try very very it right i try very diligently to not speak to myself though like i used to and, mm. and say things like you look gross your wife won't want to sleep with you if you keep looking like this right instead i say it's not fair to my wife because she's hot (laughs) (laughs) and takes really good care of her body for me to look like this and that that motivates me differently right like and i and it did like in 2021 like i took that stance and i started talking to myself differently and i worked out with her like for every day for two or three months straight just like super committed to it and and i loved it and sometimes that stuff's seasonal like it'll it'll mm-hmm. be back like it's all it always comes back like if 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 it's something that you're you're willing to do and and surrender to it'll be back right there's life should be lived fluently <laughs> like there we should understand that there are things that we can overindulge in we should understand that there are things that are toxic for us that can harm us that can that can hurt our outcomes that can hinder us but no matter what those things they're not they're not necessarily things that uh, will kill you unless you lean into them to the point that they do so mm-hmm. for the most part it's just it's just a thought right in some cases it's just an expression in some cases but stop it there and and redirect it and help yourself to understand through awareness right like you're saying this isn't the right thing to say this isn't the right this isn't me I shouldn't be acting like this. And, and that awareness, that hyper awareness is what will, that'll heal you, bro. How much did your, your network. And I say that from a professional standpoint, a family standpoint, your, your social circle, your friends, how much did your network, when you surrendered and you opened up and you, you accepted and you started talking to your wife, how much did your network play into your growth to where you are today? Yeah, heavily because I, I took the risk of like telling more people and Mm -hmm. like in 2017, I actually started to express some of this stuff slowly, but surely uh, elements of it in some cases, like little corners where I'd stuff things away in some cases to some of the men in my life that I could trust that weren't my dad, unfortunately, but that, you know, to this day changed my life. Like Ron Cravada is one of them that, that comes to mind Ed Jordan you know, people that I, I called up and said, um, hey, I just need some like manly wisdom. Marvin Couch, you know, I need some godly wisdom. I need some I need a perspective. In some cases, I asked people that like I knew I disagree with, <laughs> but I wanted to hear their <laughs> standpoint and their right. view. I wanted to know it. Right. So seeking to understand, working to gain knowledge to become better is more than just, uh, you know, trying to be something that you're not. It's ultimately exposes you to yourself even deeper these men you know alan rajanis the the people that i'm i'm naming like i spoke with them they they helped me drastically they helped me think differently they helped me gain new perspective in their own ways 
I can vividly see all the lunches still and remember them. And I, I did, I expressed like, I'm afraid <laughs> to some of them. I, I expressed my depression to mm-hmm. some of them and they were like, God damn, I didn't know you were, the, mm-hmm. that was a thing. You were the happiest and, person they'd ever seen all the time. Right. right. So it, I, I got to realize in those moments just how dangerous it is, you know, to like be the way that I had been because it's the stereotype. It's mediocrity, bro. It's the status quo. Like to be depressed and not tell anybody or mm-hmm. to be depressed and like use it as uh, like a crutch for yourself to an extent instead of allowing it to be something that can ultimately heal you. Because that's it seems what it like, did for me. Yeah. And it seems like that's that's one of the most difficult things for folks to do is to make that initial reach out and to open up and to get somebody else's perspective and let them know and, and receive their help. It's hard. You know, I mean, uh, anybody listening could, could, if they can or can't relate, could put themselves into those shoes of like, imagine, okay. Imagine that you've just done the ultimate, like worst thing ever. Like uh, you've had an affair or with, uh, you know, some strange woman and, and you have to go face your wife. Or are you just going to hide it? You know, like, what's, what are you going to do? Yeah, but imagine that you had to go face your wife or your husband. All right. That intense to think, like, I got to go and have this conversation. Depression and, and suicide, bro, and they're, man, I mean, it it's on a level that's hard to, to, to describe. And, mm-hmm. like, I get every time that I have mentioned it or started to think about it like this in this talk, the hairs on the back of my neck just shoot off, bro, because it's an evil place mm-hmm. that tells you, yo, when you tell Paul, bad things are going to happen. Not like he's going to make fun of you, right? Mm-hmm. It, you know what? What's what's actually going to happen is the stuff that happened to you as a kid. That's what that's what my depression tells me. Mm. It told me and, and hindered me like, bro, I was, I was tormented on a level that like, I mean, I might as well have been waterboarded. Like I felt like people were trying to kill me. Right. Mm-hmm. It's how deep the knife went through from, you know, relationships to yeah. uh, everything, bro, that you can possibly imagine. So it's what we've it's learned the- in the last 30 years, 40 years almost is the bullying aspect, you know, the, how that, how how those abuses as a child not from from kids your age how they they follow you through they do bro all the way to the like i'm haunted by it sometimes i mm-hmm. sometimes i have dreams of people that like doubted me and didn't like me or whatever the case like i have dreams that that they show up in my life like today and they come and they tell people like, yeah, Dale's Dale's actually like a giant piece of shit. I knew him when he was a kid <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, he was he sucked. So that's why we treated him that way. And like, it's not our fault. Like mm-hmm. he he's terrible. Like I have nightmares like that. And sometimes it's people I worked with that tormented me even like it, mm-hmm. my torment didn't just stop like in right. my childhood either. That's what sucked about it the most is like I could find it anywhere like you can because people suck, bro. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. that's just it. Like you have to understand and accept that. And you have to say, nobody cares as much as you, except for me. (laughs) And when Mm -hmm. you hit that level, 
it goes to, to the next stage. It be, you become somebody that like you're detached from people that head to drama over things that you say, but dude, like I'll be done. I'll get off this podcast and there will be a solid 10 minutes that I'll fight myself and I'll go, did I say something stupid? Did I tell this person too much? Did no. I tell too much truth? Did I, did I expose so much that people are going to like make fun of my truths and, you know, call me a pussy and, and dial my phone at two in the morning and tell me to fucking kill myself. Cause that's the kind of stuff I've suffered from in, in my career. You get that you in, know? you get that in LinkedIn. You post about it. <laughs> yeah. And, and link pal, people send you stupid shit like that on a professional social media site. <laughs> It's like insane. I have a yeah. screenshot of a guy. This is just one of like hundreds that said, I wish you would have done it Yeah. in a post where I express like that. I've struggled with depression and, and that I've, I've attempted suicide. That's a literal comment. Right. You said, you said express too much or say something stupid. When, when somebody asks you a question and I've, I've, I don't teach people anything, but the way that I look at it and the way that I've talked to people um, that have asked me for advice through sales or, uh, you know, networking, I'm a habitual networker. I love to meet and talk to people. Like, How do you do it? This and that. I was like, well, you ask a lot of questions, but you have to be willing. When you ask a question, you have to be ready for the answer. And I asked this question, the journey question, because I was willing to accept the answer. You you expressed it in a way that I think a lot of other people are probably in that journey right now, and they don't know what to do or how to start to come out of it. Yeah, and that it's a it's a scary place to be in. And I can say that from experience, right? <clears throat> but if anything, from everything that I've talked about today, that there's there's two things I always tell people is number one, like you're not going to do it like Dale did it. And I had to tell myself that a long time ago about other people mm -hmm. that I looked up to or that I heard stories from. I thought like, oh, I'll, I'll do a cold call like that and I'll get an appointment or I'll just change the way I think about finances to this and I'll be debt free in no time. Like it don't mm. work like that. Right. Like you got to understand that, that the things you heard today that might've created a moment for yourself where you thought you've thought I can do this. You ain't going to mm -hmm. do it. Like I did it. It's going to be very unique to you. Your traumas will be different. Maybe they were with a spouse or uh, a family member. Maybe they've been with a spouse, an ex-spouse, one you're with currently. Maybe they, they're in the way that you act as a, a father or a mother and, and, you know, limited beliefs there. Like for everybody, it's different. Maybe right. your trauma start at five or 10. Maybe they start at 22. You know, there's, there is a journey that we're all on, but ultimately like we're on it together. That's, mm -hmm. that's the other piece of the puzzle that I would just encourage people on is that, yeah. you know, I, I pray to God and I hope to any, for anybody other that's hearing this, that's in the same boat that you don't have to struggle the way that I did and that you don't come to a point of attempted suicide or putting yourself in situations that compromise everything that you've tried to build for yourself mm -hmm. and the legacy that you want to leave. But at the same time, if it comes to those places, just know that you don't have 
to, t- to take the route that your mind and your body are telling you that you have to go. And there's something yeah. so much greater out there for you. And, and really it's, it's like you said earlier, I'm not going to be the guy that sits around and is, it has a pity party in the process mm-hmm. of this. I'm not going to be like, Oh, that's just how I am. And so I'm just going to eat my tub of ice cream. <laughs> sit here and maybe maybe i'll get some medication you know like instead like recognize your power and recognize mm. that it's it's action like it's 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 hope as a verb bro it's it is taking the mm. limiting beliefs and saying okay well maybe this is part of who i am but that doesn't mean that i can't get better that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that i can't live with these things in a healthy way where they do not control my life and they and and that they do not create my outcomes right mm-hmm. it's it's that is not impossible <laughs> i'm telling you from experience i'm just a normal dude i'm nothing special well, and you said it in what you said you said you you're not going to do it like somebody else you're not going to do it like dale did but yeah. you can do it you can do it you just have to figure out how to do it for you and to make it happen I want to take a few minutes for you to talk about the sales rebellion real quick because it's it's cool as hell. Uh, talk about what it is briefly, and then what y'all have coming up here in the next few weeks. Sure, yeah, we're uh, we're a company built on a movement. We believe that sales can be better. We believe that it starts with people and not processes or tactics or tricks. You know, we believe it starts you know and is rooted with the individual, and that that individual that decides to become a rebel is is part of the the movement they pick up a porch a torch that they take part of the mantle and they become the foundation of what we believe will one day be the future of the way that that people sell which is to be raw and authentic it's to be transparent and blunt because being blunt is being honest so when i'm sitting in front of somebody and i say to myself well if i would have told them the truth they probably wouldn't have signed the paperwork. And so I kept mm. my mouth shut, didn't say anything. We want to get rid of those things. We want to get rid of this, this little voice in the back of your head telling you, do it. <laughs> we want to, <laughs> we want to be the movement that that ultimately creates an outlet. We're not trying to 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 be the only way to do it. We believe there'll always be another way. And and there will always be evil in this world, bro, ultimately. So you're gonna have the the folks out there that do it for nothing but money, nothing but fame, nothing but power. But we want to be a, an alternative to those things. And our rebellion is based on hope as a verb, like I said earlier, bro. Mm-hmm. We want we want people to come and show up and understand that they're part of a community, that they're part of something so much bigger than what the world tells you sales is, that you are not hindered to the status by the status quo or shackled to mediocrity because you're a salesperson and you have to follow these rules. You don't have to to read all the guru's books to become the best. You don't have to do it the way that your boss did it. You can do it authentically as yourself. You can build something fantastic that creates impact, that sharpens your skill set, that, that makes other people better as well too through the process of serving them, fixing their problems instead of product-centric salespeople that you know, want to sit around and talk about features, advantages and benefits all day and makes me want to barf in my mouth multiple times and swallow it just to feel better about myself. Right. Like (laughs) we're taking a stance against those types of things. So we got a big kickoff coming up. Like we're going to start doing like our internal stuff that we would do. We're going to do it to the public. That's going to kind of be like our thing. So 
our sales kickoff will be public. It's two days. I believe it's the third week here. It's the 19th and the 20th, who somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to step on my toes on the dates, but it's, it's somewhere <laughs> in that time frame. But we've got a, it's a, it's a, a cheap seat basically to come and like learn sales from a completely different lens. We're going to infuse creativity into the kickoff. We're going to talk about giving experiences to people instead of pitches. Mm-hmm. You, know, you want to make it fun well. for the people you're selling to y'all. What, what the sales rebellion does for all, for everything it does for the folks that are going there for the, the sales training, one thing you're going to learn is it makes it fun for those prospects, for the people you're talking to. It makes it fun for them too. It gives them an experience and it, and it changes how they interact and how they view you. The way. And I think you said it the best earlier, you become unforgettable when you're a sales rebel. That's right. That's right. Well, Dale, man, this was awesome. Thank you for sharing your journey and, and diving deep down into everything that you went through and how you overcame that right now, there's a lot of um, there's, there's a lot out there about mental health. It's becoming a priority in, in the mainstream for, for helping folks with their, their mental journey, their mental health, because we have it in the past. And you don't have to do it alone and you don't have to feel like you're burdening other people. And you, you really showed that through your story. And I'm, I'm a very appreciative for you sharing all that. Cheers, bro. I appreciate you having me on the opportunity to sit in fellowship with you. is always a good time. I cherish it. So thank you, bro. I appreciate being oh, here. Oh man. Heck yeah. Anytime, anytime. So tell folks where they can find, the copier warrior on the social medias. Yeah, you can you can head to LinkedIn.com backslash in backslash copier warrior to see a daily stream of content that I put out. Uh, head over to salesrebellion.com too just to check out what we stand for. We have a free Slack channel that you can join as well too. <clears throat> Obviously, we've got tons of other resources and whatnot on there if you're in sales. Uh, but you can head to any social media site, by the way, Twitter, Facebook, TikToks, even the TikToks. I'm on the TikToks. I love At TikTok. Sales I love Rebellion. The TikTok. Anywhere. TikToks. I'm on the TikToks. Just don't listen. Don't come to my page at 12 o'clock at night, one in the morning, thinking that you're going to laugh and be entertained because it's pretty stupid. <laughs> like my entertainment is pretty stupid. You probably go about three videos and be like, this guy's nuts and get off of it. Have stuff. you seen the stupid shit I put on TikTok? I love your TikTok, bro. It's <laughs> the best. <laughs> Anytime Look, I it, can learn about your pants and your your you know barbecue <laughs> obsessions and and then all the random stuff that happens in your life. I mean, I'm in, dude. Let's go. It's a good time. It's a good time. Well, Dale, appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. For all the listeners, thank you for listening. This is episode two. Episode one was just an introduction of who I am and the what, why of the podcast, how it came about. Go check that out. And moving forward, we're going to have an episode a week. It's going to be story driven. It's going to be us sitting around a campfire, shooting the shit, telling stories, listening to journeys of the folks that we're talking to. That's what it's going to be. Thank you. I appreciate your time. We'll see you on the next one.